Why can't I sound in my integrity that I need to go for a 30 minute run in order to keep my heart health, in order for my sanity, in order to be a better mother to my kids? Why is it that I still, knowing all those pieces, am overwhelmed by this idea that I will be selfish if I ask for that. Mm. I really think that a huge piece of it is starting to think about our thinking, who gave me that idea? Is it right? Welcome to Mom Strength, a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host, Surabi Veach physiotherapist and fitness coach, also known as The Passionate Physio. Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. friends. I'm so pumped to have on Hana Hencha Ross on here today. Hi, Hana. How are you? Hello. I'm good. How are you? I'm laughing because <laughs> I know both of I love I'm it. saying your whole name because I love it and it's beautiful and you're probably not used to people saying your whole name and um, welcome. Come on. Well, I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy you're chatting with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Equally, if not more so, excited to be <laughs> spending time with you. Um, I will take any time I can get to hang out. <laughs> right? This is secretly why I started my podcast, too, is just to hang out with really cool people. Um, so tell me a little bit about you and your journey. I've kind of introduced your, you officially, but tell me about yourself. Hello, everybody. My name is Hannah Ross or Hannah Hinteros. Um, I'm a pelvic health physio, I'm a coach, I am a clinic owner, and I'm a mom of four. What? And <laughs> um, I, um, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. I just find things that I love. Um, I start off doing physio um, as a uh, orthopedic. And uh, really, a McKenzie physiotherapist. So we saw a lot oh, of back and neck that. pain, and we saw a lot of sports injuries. And um, that sort of worked really well for me because I liked it's a more of a big picture approach. Mm-hmm. And I do very well. And we'll talk, you know, a little bit about my approach to parenting. I do well with big picture things. I'm less involved with the nitty gritty. I try to get, you know, how can we get bang for our buck with our um, the way that we can help people heal and, you know, also get kids out the door to school. Um, (laughs) And so I, it worked really well for me. I loved doing, I loved the clinic that I was in. Um, I was there through my first two kids and I sort of fell out of love with, um, with orthopedics. I wasn't as Mm. passionate about helping people heal, heal, you know, their elbow and wrist injuries. And I, you know, I'd like to help people get back to like their function and do the things that they love to do. But I wasn't as passionate about that area anymore. And for me, as like a human being value, like passion is a big value of mine. I like Mm -hmm. to be really good at what I do, but I also want to be passionate about it. And I recognize you're not gonna wake up every single morning 
loving every single thing about your life. But it became a theme where I was like, you know what, I this isn't something that I really bounce out of bed anymore for. Mm-hmm. And I I needed pelvic health physio in between babies number two and three. I probably needed it after number one, but I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I was really at a point where I really felt like my body was failing me. And like, um, you know, I really liked, I loved, uh, I trained after my first, I trained for um, 5Ks and 10Ks. And um, after my second, I trained for a half marathon. Wow, and I was amazing. doing, you know, beach body um, videos. And I was doing, you know, all those things. And I could not, for the life of me, do what they called were rock star jumps. And rock star jumps were when you would jump up with both feet, kick your bum, and at the same time, do a cool, like, guitar strum. Oh my gosh, that um, sounds very, very <laughs> challenging. <laughs> I couldn't do it without peeing. Uh, and I was having a lot of pelvic pain. And one of the physios who I was working with at, at this ortho um, and McKenzie clinic had gone and opened up her own clinic. And wow. she was doing pelvic health. She had just gotten trained in pelvic health. Um, and we're both in uh, Ontario, we're both in Toronto. And pelvic health was sort of, at that time, like a couple people were doing it. They had just... There's a training um, program here that they really just gotten off the ground. Um, we had just moved. You used to have to go and get a um, get a delegation from your doctor and give it to your physio in order for them to do a pelvic health assessment, hmm. which is an internal vaginal and rectal assessment. So I say we're the gynecologist, a physiotherapist. Yeah. <laughs> and um, at that time, in between my second and third, we had just moved from the need to delegate. So you could walk in off the street into a physiotherapist's office and they could do an internal exam with your consent, obviously. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to go back to your doctor and get them to sign a sheet and then bring it back to your physio. So a lot of the barriers to entry had been removed. Um, and what year was this? Do you remember? Oh, my, my second was born in twenty. 10. Okay. And so um, um, this was around like 2000, I want to say 2011. Okay. So 10 she's years born, like, now. like she's born like December 2010. So really it was 2011, okay. 2012 when I started to see my, my friend for pelvic physio. Mm-hmm. Um, so she really had she had to convince me. I was like, you are not going anywhere near me with those fingers. <laughs> like, back off. <laughs> but I'd gone to my doctor. I'd gone to, through like the regular, you know, the regular medical system. And I had continuously been told like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. There's nothing wrong. And I knew that everything was not fine. And I, I really was feeling like, well, you know, I had babies. What did I expect? Like, obviously I'm going to leak when I jump. Of course I'm going to have pain. Like, this is what happens when you have a baby. And this friend of mine was like, absolutely not, not true. You can expect more. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, anyhow, she treated me life changing. I was wow. like this, my, I really felt like I'd give, been given my life back. Like wow, I, I never, I didn't ever expect to feel whole in my body again. And she really, she granted that to me. And to the point where I didn't think I was going to have any more kids after my second. Went on to have two more. I'll cut to the chase. <laughs> I was going to say, clearly that physio worked, <laughs> worked for magic because 
You have I two mean, more kids. <laughs> I went for a physio before and after each one of those as well. But um, it also gave me back my passion for physio. I was like, I love this area. And yeah. so I just wanted to do it for other people. And now here we are, um, I, you know, almost 13 years after my first baby, uh, 15 years into my career. Mm-hmm. And I run a clinic and I'm now coaching other physios on how to live the life of their dreams. Uh my life is very messy, I will say. Mm-hmm. It is not clean and beautiful and perfect. I am a recovering perfectionist. Um, but you there. <laughs> uh, that's me in a very that's long nutshell. Amazing. I, I love what you said about kind of getting your, <clears throat> getting your life back. And I think that we as physios think in some ways that we're immune to all those same things that happen to the other moms, you know, after yes. having a baby. And I was the same. I was like, I'm pretty active. I know my stuff. You know, I know about the human body. Um, and then when things happened to me after my first, I was in shock, right? And there's this feeling of like, I let myself down. My body yes. let me down. And then to get your body, not your just physical body back, but just that emotional and mental connection with your body back is so, it is life-changing. And I love that you had that and now you provide that for your clients. Mm -hmm. And I will say this, like I was doing pelvic physio, uh, I was running a clinic. When I opened my clinic, I had a coach and Mm. one of my goals was to be able to have capacity in my life, to not be working 12 hours a day, seeing clients and running my clinic so that I would be able to have a fourth baby, Mm. which I did. So I achieved that goal. Um, But I was, I was even told by my, my midwives, like they were like, you've, you're at a very high risk of postpartum depression and anxiety mm. because um, not only like as a physio, do we think that like we're doing all the things. So therefore our, this won't happen to our bodies, which it does because we're people like any other and are, we still go through pregnancy and postpartum like any other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually they were, they were, they were watching me very closely because they were like, you think like you're very type A and like, yeah. I, like I was mothering quote, like, you know, I was like, I know, I know how to mother and have a, you yes. know, have a, have a full role in my business and my, you know, I, I was yeah. going at full, at full throttle yeah. and they were like, you forget what it's like to have an infant and you think about mothering as mothering a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old. Mothering an infant is very different. And it really, it's almost a shock to the system again. You're like, oh my gosh. Even both as a mother who's done it before and as a physio to look at your body again and be like, oh my God, I forgot at this three-week postpartum mark feeling like, you know, everything's falling out. Like I forgot, you forget about all those things. And there is a little bit of, shame around it in that like I should know better this shouldn't happen to me I should know better versus accepting the fact that we we are actually humans mm-hmm. and we're all doing the best that we can do and our things happen to our bodies you know we can't control pregnancy and we can't control our birth experience and we can't control our postpartum experience but for the things that we can control mm-hmm. exactly yeah, we can choose where we seek support. We can choose, you know, our actions. But you're so right about that is, you know, I always think about it like dentists are so clear, right? Like you don't expect your dentist to never have had a cavity in their life. 
You assume that they probably had a cavity or they probably needed orthotic or not orthotics, orthodontics. And you just assume that. But then there's this, and I don't think anybody assumes this of physiotherapists, but maybe we put this pressure on ourselves that we've got to look a certain way. We have to be this level of fitness. We've got to have a baby and get back to all of the things that we, we help our clients get back to because if we don't then what does that mean about us right so for anyone listening who's obviously not a physiotherapist just know that a we're just humans and we've been there it's not that we we have never experienced these things you know and Hannah you have four kids and have you found that over the like after each experience was it harder in terms of your physical recovery or did you actually find that some were easier and some were harder um, they were all different. I would mm. say um, the tools I had at my after my fourth set me up so I could return to the things that I loved faster. Mm. But that is also because I was less fearful. So the things that we were teaching about women's health and pelvic health were very different after my second and my third. We were still teaching people like, if you've got a diastasis rectus, like abdominus, you're not, you're never going to go back to crunches. You should not do those things. You should not do X. We had a list of the don'ts and our evidence does not support that anymore. And I love working out. And so I definitely am doing things now that I was not even doing after my third at all. I had never returned to them. Mm. Um, having said that, the... Um, the experience of recovery certainly took longer after every single baby. Like the thing, I was very young when I had my first. I have a 10-year age gap between my first daughter and my fourth daughter. Hmm. So not only had I was I 10 years older, plus my body had done it four times. Like there, you know, there's a sig- and my time was much more limited for physical recovery after my, after my fourth, I still need, my kids still needed to go to school um, and needed their lunch. Right. Like there wasn't as much like sleep in with your baby until 10 o'clock and then feed them and then go back to bed with them Mm -hmm. as we're, we're, you know, we're told with babies. uh, Sleep when the baby sleeps. Yes, exactly. Um, So I, I didn't even have, whether I took those opportunities or not, that's a different discussion for a different day. Um, I, I didn't even have those opportunities with the fourth. So it what I really had to create that time and space. I had to be much more thoughtful and conscious um, about the decision-making that I made. Um, after my fourth, um, I would say like, you know, where I was at at the six month mark in my 25 year old body after my first pregnancy, I was probably at, at the one year mark after my second, which is where I was probably at the 18 month mark after my third, which is where I was probably at, at my two year mark after my fourth, like it really was a slower recovery, but I am doing things now. My daughter, my youngest is turning three in two days. Um, And I'm doing things now that I would have never given myself permission to even try because in my mind, they were off limits right after my other pregnancy after having a baby and experiencing symptoms and mm-hmm. that's it right there's that fear of i don't want to make this worse and 
you know, even five, probably even five years ago, that's the information that was out there yeah. is avoid this. Otherwise you can make this worse. Mm-hmm. And now we know, we know different. The evidence doesn't support that. And so there's, you can get back to almost anything you want to postpartum. And I love that what you said is, you know, the age gap, right? And I, I have other clients who, you know, they have eight-year-olds and then they have a new baby and they're like, but this is so hard now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you the last eight. time it was this, the last time it was that. I was exactly. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you're older, you're a lot older, and also you forget, like you forget those early days and early months, and you were probably saying the same thing then, but you just have forgotten, because like I have a daughter who's three, and I forgot about how awful that first year was until I had my baby, and I was like, oh, but there's perspective that comes with each child too, right? It's like you you know, you oh, anticipate, really? you're not expecting yourself to just like go 100%, so for anyone who's planning to expand their family, I think Hannah has lots of amazing tips. Um, so what are your tips to kind of maintain your life, organize your life, maintain your, your energy? I will say I am not writing a book on parenting. So take everything <laughs> I say right now with a grain of salt. Um, I, I really try to simplify things. I uh, We streamline our dinners. So right, we have pretty much the same thing on Monday night every week and same thing on Tuesday night every week and same thing on Wednesday night every week. That's brilliant. (laughs) I do grocery pickup. So I have an online order and it saves it on the the grocery store that I go to. It's like, well, here's your last, here's what your last order was. And so I just basically select everything on my last order plus additional things that I need. I have the time slot set and I drive in pick up I pick up my kids go get my groceries drive home so I'm oh not gosh, spending so an hour you know doing all those those pieces um I really have you know in my mind sort of like from a wardrobe perspective for my kids like I have in my mind kind of like the basics you know five pairs of sweatpants for my girls five pairs of leggings they need 10 t-shirts 10 long sleeve shirts and mm-hmm. five sweatshirts three nicer items like that's just in my mind and then every year if i need to purchase if i don't have them as hand-me-downs that's sort of i've got like a basics in my mind of what we need that Um, is brilliant because that overwhelms me i'm like okay what does she need now like yes and what does it mean it means that sometimes my kids don't have like the like super pretty out of the ordinary items because they are sticking to basics it means that sometimes they're like oh meatballs again because I know that last week they had meatballs. But every single night I'm like, oh, what should we have for dinner? What do I need to buy? Should I need to go to the grocery store? Like, I, Because I've had things somewhat redundant. Mm-hmm. It, you don't have yes, to think about it. Yes. Yeah. And so what, what I am trying to eliminate is the decision-making fatigue because I want to use my decision-making capacity, my creativity for the things like creating new courses for my podcast, for, you know, maybe doing an art project with my kids on a random Sunday, you know, like (laughs) I want to be able to do those things and not every and eliminate that decision-making fatigue on a regular basis as much as possible. And it happens. Don't get me wrong. Like there's, you know, there's definitely nights where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired today. I can't even think about whatever project I have on my mind. But um, I, I think that what I've really recognized is 
in the structure that can create freedom for me. And every single time I resist the structure and I'm like, oh, I hate looking at my Mondays and knowing that Monday morning I have this meeting and then that, like, even with my business, I try to create time blocking and things like that um, within my schedule. Every time I resist that, that's when the overwhelm starts to creep in. Mm. And I, we're like that. I'm like that with uh, meals. I'm like, I'm sick of, you know, we're supposed to do this tonight, but I don't want that. And I'm like the worst when it comes to that. My husband is a lot better at just, he grew up eating the same thing every day of the mm-hmm. week pretty much. And whereas I was grew up as a picky eater, I wanted variety all the time. And you're so right about that decision fatigue. And then it ends up being eight o'clock. You haven't made dinner yet because you've just been wasting. It's like Netflix, right? You sit yes. down. You're like, there's a billion shows, you don't know what to pick, and then you just waste time. So I love those strategies of just simplifying your life so that you're not having to think about this on the day. You've planned it in advance, and your kids probably appreciate that too, even if they don't tell you, because they know what to expect, right? They're not wondering, oh, what are we eating tonight? Or when are we eating tonight? They just know like, yep, you know, this is Mondays, this is Tuesdays. Uh, and I, I really like that predictability. I'm going to steal that, t- that tip. I love it. And did you always know you wanted a big family? I grew up with a bigger family. My husband grew up with a bigger family. We both come from families of four kids. Mm. Um, also, like, my husband wants more kids. And I'm like, um, I think we're done, honey. <laughs> uh, he, like, you know, honestly, like they're the greatest people. It, raising children is very challenging. Again, I'm certainly not writing a book on it. I, you know, I screw up just like everybody all the time. And I just keep trying to move forward. But they really are. They're the greatest people I know. They're the funniest people I know. They're the smartest people I know. um, And they're really a joy uh, in my life. And so I understand where he's like, yes, I want more. But I think that like, um, for me, practical perspective I think we're good um (laughs) but they you know my some of our family members have we we each have three siblings and you know um my two sisters have three kids each my brother has four my husband you know in their family they have four one of the one of his brothers has five kids like we have big families and there's really something super special about going you know we get to Prior to our current circumstances, yeah. um, every Sunday night we would have dinner with his family and all the cousins would get together. Every Thursday night was pizza night with my family and all the cousins would get together. And it's it was it's really, really special. Um, and, you know, my kids can, my, my two older girls just came home from sleepaway camp for a number of weeks. And now, like, they're just obsessed with hanging out with each other, the four kids, and being together again. So when they're when it's good, it's oh, so good. And yeah. <laughs> they're not getting along. Yeah. Catch me on that day. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about those days. For right now, it's working. Okay. <laughs> Today is a good day. <laughs> but you know what? That's that's something that I, I, I – it was just my brother and I. And I always wish that we had, like, this – big family because they're so it is beautiful about growing up together and being with those same people working through your arguments and fights and coming out the other end and um that's awesome that's so awesome that you have um sisters and brothers with big families 
Uh, my husband comes from a big family and I grew up with a lot of cousins. So I, in mm. some ways I had that. Um, because the cousins, were, like yeah. first cousins? First cousins. Okay. Lots of first cousins. But this was back in India. When we moved to Canada, I was 10 and I had no, like we had no extended mm. family really. And so it was a really big transition to go from like having all of this friends and family and support to just like nothing. And most people here, most people, I, I'm not going to say most people, a lot of people here have very small families, yes. right? One yes. child or two, fa- two children. And I know sometimes it's not always a choice. Um, but it's, it's amazing to see, see people with bigger families again. Uh, my, my husband's family, he, he's so much more patient because he's grown up in a big family because he's like, oh yeah, I'm used to noise and chaos versus me. I'm just used to like one other sibling and not as much chaos around the house. Yeah. I I think Um, that there is, um, there's something really wonderful to be said for both of those truly. Um, you know, when my kids leave the house and it's quiet, I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't even realize how loud it was. (laughs) But I do think a lot of the the tools that I've gained um, that have helped me thus far are because, you know, I had to learn, you know, in a a larger, like my older daughter, she makes herself breakfast, she makes herself an omelet every single day. My second daughter likes to bake. Like we, we really learn how to look out for what each other needs and try to fill in the gaps um again on days when everybody is happy go lucky and it's yeah. Well. yeah but that's good i think it's also nice to focus on the good because there's always going to be challenges and days that you wish you could read do over um so sure. i love that for sure and so what are some of the things i know you start you have your own business so you started that how long have you had your business so Vital um, has been a formal business since 2014. Seven um, years. Oh my yes. goodness. So I, after I had my seconds, um, I decided that I, you know, didn't love, didn't love this, the way that I was practicing. Um, I tried a number of different things. I um, left clinical you know, being in a sports clinic and I was working, doing a part-time role in schools, helping children with their gross motor skills. I was working part-time in um, a retirement home. I was running their physio program in a retirement home. I was um, also working for Wheeltrans, which is the accessible um, public transit service. Oh my gosh, everything. So I was doing that also part-time. And I was doing some in-home physiotherapy. So I had like four different things that ended up being a full-time plus gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really dabbling there. And, and I, I did start my in-home physio. It was mostly ortho at that time. And as I got trained in pelvic health physio, and as somebody who, again, I'm a recovering perfectionist, but part of it's also that I really strive to be excellent at what I do. So I didn't want to start saying like, I'm a pelvic health physio and take like just the weekend course. Um, mm-hmm. I know that in order to get certified in, in order for our to be safely provide pelvic health physio in Ontario, you really just need one weekend course. Mm-hmm. Um, and after taking that one course, I was like, I cannot do this well. So I ended up within like, you know, a two to three month span took three courses, um, and then started to integrate that into my 
home care service. So mm. I really started talking to anybody who would listen about <laughs> pelvic health physio. Um, so I had a lot of conversations that people were like, I'm sorry, you do what? Like, <laughs> it is kind of shocking at first because you're like, well, you're going to put your hands where? Right, right. Um, and I would actually just talk to anybody who was willing to listen about it. And um, I, my first client, I am so grateful to her. Like to this day, still know who she is, remember exactly what I saw her for. She was like, I really need that. And so I, you know, went to her house, brought some towels. I went to shoppers and bought some gloves and some lube and whatever I needed Mm -hmm. and created a consent form, created my assessment forms and went to her home and treated her. And she was getting great results. And she told her friends and, you know, I slowly started to build up this in-home pelvic health business. Um, And as that business grew, I slowly started to resign from my other roles. So by May 2015, I was just doing home visits for pelvic health physio. So I would drop off my kids in the morning at nine o'clock at school, go see back-to-back clients until 3.30, go pick up my kids at school, bring them home, give them dinner, take them to extracurriculars, put them to bed, and then I would generally see one or two more clients at night. Oh my goodness. So by early 2016, I had a lot of road rage. (laughs) (laughs) And I was slowly burning both ends of the candle. And I was like, you know what? I just don't think this in-home, there's so many people who need help. And I cannot possibly see the number of people who need as much help by doing a home service. And so I rented a space in a um, in a medical clinic. Um, they were there were a lot of part time doctors, and so there were a lot of empty um, clinical rooms. So they rented them out to me, and so I um, brought my clients into this into this space, and I started seeing clients um, basically eight a.m. to seven p.m. back to back. Wow. Um, until it, again, it got to a place where I like, okay, I am personally at capacity. And um, I hired my first physio. My first physio was my sister. She's a pelvic oh health physio goodness. too. She works with me till this day. Um, and, uh, you know, my husband and I were talking and we had this location um, midtown Toronto. And I was going to open up on the second floor. Um, and we gave ourselves until um, until January of 2016 to see if we could figure out, um, somebody for the main retail space that would be complimentary to me. And we didn't find anybody. It was all a lot. There were a lot of like, um, a lot of bakeries, a lot of restaurants, restaurants, that kind of thing. And I was like, I can't have, you know, those, I'm sure it's going to be delicious, but like, I can't have those (laughs) smells wafting off as I'm trying to like do a proper gynecological exam on somebody. And so January of 2016, we took the leap and we renovated a space on a retail space in Midtown Toronto. And by November I had moved in. It was me, uh, my sister, I had a massage, local massage therapist who I uh, had met and loved, and she came in once a week. 
and I had one evening physio for one day a week. And um, I was doing, we were doing still all the admin, all the bookings, all the billings, all the everything. I was doing everything. And we slowly built up from there. That's amazing. That, for anyone who's like not a business owner, just the amount of courage that it takes to like grow and put yourself out there and the amount of hard work. And I think that many people who just see it as an outsider think that, oh, this person must have it easy. They mm-hmm. must have everything kind of handed to them. But you don't see the work that goes in behind the scenes, the long days. Um, and also that it is possible once you have children to live the life of your dreams, to build the business of your dreams. Um, there were there were many instances like along the way where really the methodology that I was using or what was working stopped working or I had to like really stop and reflect. And each of those leaps was really, really like, oh my gosh, like my stomach was in knots as I made those decisions. But I think um, for me, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because I didn't even really Yes, those were challenging decisions, but the question came from a place of like, there are so many people, like people, we have long wait lists of people who needed help. And I was like, how can we, how can we continue to serve our people? How can we help more people? What can we do? How can we continue this level of service? Um, And for me, like going from like a, you know, a one woman, everybody doing all the things, like the letting go piece of knowing that other practitioners who I've trained and supported and continue to support, they're going to do it differently. They're not going to do it the same way that I'm going to do it. And being able to let go of that and understand that different people need different things and we're all going to, we all have amazing strengths. And my way is not the best way for everybody. It's the best way for you. Yeah. 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 That's, and as, uh, as a business owner and as a leader of your clinic, I think you're, your um, staff probably value that too mm-hmm. because um, we all do work differently even as physios I think as people who are you know as as patients you think that all physios are the same but right. we're all bringing in our own personalities our own experiences our own biases our own you know strengths our training mm-hmm. into it and people are going to work differently so and I think it is important to find find a practitioner that um, you know, you don't have to be their mini me's, but you at least have to kind of like working with their them and the style that they that they have while working with you. Um, yeah, and if they're coming to if they're coming to my clinic, I want there to be a consistent experience. Yes, right. Yeah. The quality uh, of care needs yes. to be needs to be there because it's not. Um, there are a lot of <laughs> not so great PTs, physios, and and any field. There's not so great practitioners and so I think uh, having that high level of standard is something I can see that you value Um, and kind of I noticed that in your business you support a lot of you support a lot of women so Mm -hmm. how did you start doing that as well because you have your physiotherapy business and then you have your coaching business as well um it's funny because I really had to reflect on this recently we're trying to really hone down um what our what are our clinic values and what are my values? Mm. And for me, uh, two values have been very clear that I think only were in reflecting back. I'm like, oh yeah, I do do that. Um, number one is care. And number two is community. I 
very firmly believe that together we're going to change the world. But we cannot do that if we're competing. And my experience for a very long time had had been like when I was opening my clinic, there was really like I had to go. One of my coaches is Megan Walker. She's a naturopath. There weren't many female physios who were like, number one, had run clinics. Like there are very few women who run the clinics that were, you know, were primarily, if we're going to, you know, actually talk about this in this very siloed perspective. So my apologies in advance, but like when I was taking, there were, when I was taking uh, physio, my physio courses, 85% of the participants of the students identified as female and like mm-hmm. 15% identified as male. Mm-hmm. And if I look now at my, at my class, how many of those women actually own the businesses? It's, it's primarily the people who identify as male who are actually owning the businesses. That was the same with my class. Like, and there was, you know, I had 85 students in my graduating class and 15 were identified as male. And out, out of those 15, a high percentage now run mm-hmm. their own clinics, which is shocking because they weren't necessarily the strongest students or the most passionate about physio. It just is just the way it is. It's so much easier if you're male um, to kind of have that that path built out for you versus right. if you're someone who identifies as a woman, you know, it's just it's just much harder. So and you're probably one of the few people that I know who runs a clinic. Um, there are more now, but you know, what was that like for you? So uh, really, for me, I had to go outside of physio to to find um, common ground, to find other practitioners who would support me. And I, I really, if we are a we're a profession of women. We're a caring profession. Uh, you know, uh, the idea that like, if um, if I am successful, that inherently means that you are not is such a it's such bullshit. Mm-hmm. Are we always wearing on this podcast? Yeah, totally okay. fine. Um, and when I went to look at the physio, you know, there are a lot of physio coaches. They're pr- primarily ma- male. Mm-hmm. And they participate in what I call bro talk. Let's go harder, faster. This is stronger. But and and that did not resonate with me. I want to be like. It's it funny is, because it's true. Right. <laughs> like, and and the thing is, I'm not scared to talk about money. I believe that if women are making a lot of money, we're gonna con- do a lot. We're gonna provide a lot of contributions. We're gonna give away more, um, more free physio or reduced physio but i think that when the biggest pieces that we're as women afraid to talk about money we mm. are afraid to ask people for um, compensation for our services if we charge money and somebody can't afford it we feel bad um and we end up in this sort of state where we're not making enough to cover our costs we're looking at everybody else being successful quote unquote and they're you know they have thriving businesses but we just keep trying to give, 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 give. And the giving that we do is we actually reduce our fees to, in order to support people. And I actually think that that's the wrong way. Mm-hmm. If you're not able, if you're not thriving, you're actually not in a position to, to support other people. So I've made it my business, literally and figuratively, to um, create a high level of care for my clients, create a high level of care for my practitioners, and now 
help other practitioners create that that same level of care for themselves and build businesses that are strong and thriving so that we are in a position to give back. I cannot give back if I'm resentful because I'm not taking home the amount of money that I I need and that I really is, you know, it, money's just a tool, it's an energy and we make it mean so much. And in this, in the bro talk of like harder, faster, stronger, if you're not gonna get, you know, if you're not getting that client then somebody else isn't, if we actually sit and support each other and find what is so amazing about me and so amazing about you so that you can have the clients who you're gonna thrive with and I'm gonna have the clients that I'm gonna thrive with, thrive with and charge what we're worth so that now we can start giving back. Mm. That is that is the world that I want to live in. Not the world of go faster, go harder. And you women over there who are, who are professionals, um, if you charge more money, you're greedy. And if you charge more money, you're, you know, you think that you're holier than thou and you're this and you're that. I will not subscribe to that mindset. Mm. And I'm going to take every single women woman around me and I'm going to say let's go we're doing this together Mm. I love that I love it shows in your values it shows in how you present yourself that you're so supportive of other women and I think that that is a sign of a really strong leader because we don't we don't get that as an example we haven't had that model to us so it really does take people now to decide that you know what we're not in competition with each other we're supporting each other we're doing this a better way and we can't always have male coaches because they they haven't lived our lives they haven't seen seen things from our lens because i totally see that bro talk and and just you know push harder and just just recommend these services people will just buy it people don't listen to women just like that you know like I would work with males and they would just tell a patient, oh, buy this, buy that. And they'd be like, okay, without questions, because it's a male giving them this advice versus a a female therapist would say the same thing. And they'd be like, oh, I don't know if I can afford this. And then you feel bad and they're like, I'll give you this discount. And you're so right is you've got to pay your own bills. You've got to have your own, um, your own life also protected. And if you're just giving and giving, you're just going to end up feeling resentful and empty and I think a lot of people and across all fields all professions can feel that and isn't that also like motherhood right if you're always giving your kids everything that you have and not keeping enough for yourself can you talk a little bit about you know choosing yourself in in life so this is this is a big um it's an ongoing piece of work for me as well um because um yeah, I really think that the the paradigm has been like this, like martyr, martyr as a mother is the ideal. And again, the woman who puts, who, who chooses herself is the one who, um, who's selfish, Mm -hmm. right? And even like in the idea that you were saying that like when, um, your male counterparts would, would suggest something, um, that they would be able to close a sale better. Oh, yeah. I think I think a massive piece of that, if we're being honest with ourselves, is the confidence that they arrive with mm-hmm. and in the way that they lead that interaction. We're very often like, if, if it's okay with you, this is what I'm going to suggest. Totally good if you don't need it, but no big deal. Mm-hmm. And like, and you know, the, the male physios that I've worked with are like, um, this TheraBand is going to get you where you need to go. You're like, it's $5. Matter, for, matter like, of fact. Yeah, it just yeah. is. 
Mm. And I think we can actually learn a lot from them mm. and learn a lot. Like when my husband goes for a you know, goes for a run, he's like, okay, honey, I'm going to go for a run now. Um, we'll be back in half an hour. Whereas I'm like, if it's okay with you, mm. I, you know, I've like, I've made, the, I put dinner out and like, is it okay? Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? I think a big piece is actually just sitting back and thinking about our thinking. Why is it that I approach it in that way? And he, and when he goes for a run, I'm like, yes, good for you. Like, I want you to be healthy for me and my and our kids and for yourself. Like, that's that's so important. Why do I come from the paradigm that I need to ask permission for those pieces? That I need mm-hmm. to say, if it's okay with you buy this TheraBand, no pressure. Why can I not stand in my integrity? Because I know that that TheraBand is actually what that client needs to get better. Why can't I stand in my integrity that I need to go for a 30 minute run in order to keep my heart health, in order for my sanity, in order to be a better mother to my kids? Why is it that I still, knowing all those pieces, am overwhelmed by this idea that I will be selfish if I ask for that. Mm. I really think that a huge piece of it is starting to think about our thinking. Who gave me that idea? Is it right? Because it wasn't you. It wasn't innate, no. right? You didn't grow up with Their like beliefs. babies aren't yeah, babies aren't born thinking as females, you know, oh, I need to give and give and if I want anything it's selfish. But I mean you 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 have girls and I I realize that there is this unfair expectation and pressure on girls from when they're younger to behave better, be more polite, smile more, be kinder, share better, you know, and there's not the same. And I see it in the playgrounds. You see girl toddlers walking around and the moms are so on top of them for sharing and whatnot. You see boys walk around, they just run through, grab whatever toy they want and leave. And I'm not saying one way is the right way and one way is the better way. But we can learn a lot from that. And mm-hmm. if we instill that confidence in our girls from the, from a young age that you can do whatever you want to do. You don't have to do what society tells you to do. It'll be easier for them. But I think for you, our, I heard this thing that I think might be helpful is <clears throat> we've grown up with a certain language, right? And let's say we learned <clears throat> we've learned English our entire life. And now you're in your 30s and you suddenly want to start speaking Japanese. And it's a new language. You've practiced it for a couple years. You're kind of good at it, but you're still thinking in English. You still have to go back and forth. And then you're still learning and learning. And eventually you'll get to the point where you're thinking in Japanese and you're fluent in Japanese, but you might still revert back when something seems hard. You might still go back to thinking in English or sounding out words in English and that's the same as like we've grown up with those beliefs Mm -hmm. we've practiced them for that many years and now we're speaking and thinking in language but it's going to take time and we might we might forget and we might need to go back and forth and go back to that um that language and when it's hard you go back to your comfort which is the old language I that, that is so bang on I love it and just challenging yourself when you're in those challenging situations and saying how I feel now is not how I always feel I'm just experiencing a challenging day or you know it's it's okay if you know it's it's so funny that you gave that example because I saw this reel from this like psychologist that I follow on Instagram and I was so annoyed by it because it was like it was all like women you know this is how um you know don't be nagging to your husbands and don't be um don't blame them or whatever be like oh you never throw out the garbage right instead be like oh honey could you please throw out the garbage and like it was just so it was like 
I get the point of the message, but at the same time, I'm like, why are we asking for permission for every single thing as women? Because you're so right. Men don't say, oh, can I do this? You know, they just do it. And I think that as women, people who identify as women, we need to learn from that and just be more confident in what we want and what we need and know that that's not actually selfish. Um, It's self-care, right? It's literally just self-care. One of my, uh, you know, a friend of mine once said to me, because I, she's like, you're, what we're doing, like, I spend a lot of time, like, I've got three girls and a boy. I spend a lot of time telling my girls, you're, you know, you're important. You're a value. Um, you know, discuss, like, tell me what you want. Like, don't waffle, make a decision. It's okay to make the wrong decision. Like, teaching them, like, these skills that I didn't really, I didn't grow up thriving in those areas, right? I'm really learning them now. Um, and she said to me, she's like, you know, people don't, people don't learn by what you say. They learn from what you do. So are you demonstrating to your girls that they are of significant value their whole lives until they become mothers? And then their needs are not important anymore. Mm, wow. And that like cut deep for me. I was like, oh my gosh. It's like what you're demonstrating is exactly that. Mm. So make a choice. That is good. That is so good because it's so true. Is what they see, not what they not what they hear, um, and that's I, and I think you do demonstrate that. But I think that those are that's something to think about more, right? Mm-hmm. When you're taking when you're making a decision, do I do this for myself? It's not just for yourself. It's also to set that example for your kids. Um, that's 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 a beautiful way to look at it. I love that advice. And Hannah, let's chat a little bit about your name. And my name, and we've talked about this before, and it's something that um, I feel very passionate about. So why don't you tell me a little bit about kind of what you're thinking? So uh, you and I were chatting. I I don't even know how, like we, I'm not really a small talk person. Me Uh, either. (laughs) Yes, I think we're. That's why we get along. (laughs) And so we, one day were talking about our names and you were telling me how you pronounce your name and you sent me an email, you know, you, I think you might have emailed me something and then you have, you have a video with description of the, of your name. That's right. In my email sign off, I have a little like 15 second blip of how to pronounce my name because it's so commonly mispronounced. And I have the name Hana. Mm-hmm. I'm named after my grandmother. My mother was four months pregnant with me when my grandmother passed away her mother. Oh. And um, I'm named after... One of her names, Hensha, which is my middle name, is another pronunciation. She moved after the Holocaust. She, they moved to uh, to Canada, and she changed her name to Anne, mm-hmm. A-N-N. But her, she had a uh, Hungarian name, which was Hensha, and her Hebrew name is Hana. Mm-hmm. And my parents um, actually used to, were living when I when I was born. They were living with my grandfather. And he was very upset at them that they didn't name me Hoino, which is, um, that's the Yiddish, her Yiddish name. My mother was like, I'm not naming her Hoino Hensha. I'm sorry. So instead they named me the Hebrew version, which was Hana. And my whole life I was like, oh, why don't you just name me Anne? Like everybody <sighs> always mispronounces my name. And, yeah. you know, I was, oh, it's like no big deal. Like I just, it was such an annoyance to like, 
go through and be like, intentionally, Hannah, you know, it's Hannah, it's Aunt Hannah, like whatever you just like, I, I would just, whatever they called me, I would just be like, I knew they were talking to me and I was like, okay, like, fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you and I had this conversation and I was bawling my eyes out as you were saying it or typing it out because you were talking a, a lot about being seen and showing up as yourself and taking yourself seriously and valuing mm-hmm. yourself. And a part of that is stepping into the name that you are given and asking people to call you by their name. And it was such a, I'll call it an Oprah, aha moment for me <laughs> because I spent so much time minimizing myself and being like, whatever, it's fine. You don't have to call my name. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And the second I actually asked people to call me by my name, first of all, it was so much of a less, like it was so not a big deal. People were like, mm-hmm. "Oh, okay, how do you pronounce it again?" Hana, okay, is is Hana okay? And I was like, yeah, like people started to really try to make mm-hmm. an effort mm-hmm. um, because they they want to. Like if I, you know, if I would have been calling you the wrong name, I would have felt awful for years and years not calling you the right name. Right? You want to respect people and give them, you know, it's a sign of dignity to call them by their proper name. Mm -hmm. And until we had that conversation, it really, you know, there's the little ways in life that we minimize ourselves for the comfort of other people. And it wasn't such a small way. It was actually a really big way that I was doing it. And I, I'm so grateful that we had that conversation and that it impacted you in that way. Because I, I've realized too, with names, it's, it's the one thing that yours, that's yours. Mm-hmm. Your favorite color might change. Your preferences for your favorite show might change. But your name is yours and it's always yours. And to not, especially when you have a name that also has a significance like yours does. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it ties you to your, your heritage, to your grandmother. I, I think it's so important to um, recognize and to call people by their names and keep trying until you get it right. If you're somebody who's like, oh, but I'm just not good at rolling my R's or whatever, just keep trying because that shows the person that you're actually wanting to see them as who they are instead of who you want them to be. And the fear of mispronunciation is far yeah. lesser than making somebody feel unseen. Exactly. And, and feeling, making them feel like they're not important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, I thought about this a lot when naming my kids, we gave them Indian names, easier to pronounce ish Indian names. But I was like, you know what? And my husband's Caucasian, so, or white. So it's like, I've had people ask me, why didn't you just give them easy names? And Mm. I'm like, these names are part of their heritage. They're growing up in Canada. Like I want them to have names that we love that they love and your kids everyone's is going to be made fun of for something everyone's going to have something that stands out so if I'm constantly trying to have them fit into this like perfect norm and simplify their life so that they never get seen or heard like that's just not useful for me and that's not what I want to instill in them I don't want to instill those values so you know what go ahead and stand out you are designed you're made to stand out you have a very beautiful name and it's actually quite easy you know it's not like eight (laughs) syllables long and even if it was I would still keep trying um and yeah it's it's the same with my name you know it wasn't until fairly recently it wasn't until I really had my daughter that I was like it's really important to me Mm -hmm. that I make sure that people get my name right because then she's learning like that I have two different names that I say one way when I see 
people who are not Indian in one way when I see people who are, you know, and I don't think that's right. And I, I after when I, I shared this stories, you know, when Hannah and I started talking about this, I shared this on my stories on Instagram and a lot of people actually messaged me with similar stories. Really? A lot. And, you know, even something as simple as like a name like Tara, her name was Tara. It's the slightest, slightest change, but she's like, Tara is what I was named after, you know, someone in her family. It's not Tara, but everyone, I just let people call me whatever. And so when we're doing that, it's, it just removes a little bit of ourselves. And I wonder if more females do this than, than males. Um, you know, I, I'm just curious. It's, it's another way that women are told, like, you're not as important. If people screw up your name, that's okay, right? So, Or we tell I, ourselves, because I think we probably well or those are the messages we're telling ourselves right and we think oh but will people actually want to learn it it doesn't matter right the people who are important will learn it and they'll keep wanting to practice and learn it and they might need reminders and the people who don't want to learn it also tells you a lot about them so i love that um yeah so thank you for that because you're very welcome i'm so i'm so happy that it led you to um fully embracing your beautiful name Uh, And I feel like it reflects who you are as well. Very beautiful person inside and out. Um, So tell me, Hannah, what is your favorite? We're going to wrap up and go into our final thoughts. And tell me a little bit about what your favorite um, books or podcasts are right now. Mm, Okay. Oh, my goodness. So I really am a bookworm. And I also love podcasts. So I'm listening to... Um, right now I'm very into the life coaching school podcast. Um, I really like Brooke Castillo's uh, approach to life and she just did a really great podcast on good feelings versus bad feelings and how Mm. much of our, much, uh, you know, we're going to have in life, you're going to have 50% good feelings and 50% bad feelings. It's just life. But the, a lot of our suffering, um, in our bad feelings comes from, beating ourselves up that we're feeling bad, thinking Mm -hmm. that we should always feel good. Mm -hmm. And that was just such an aha moment for me. Judging ourselves, right? For feeling bad. Yes. Yeah. Um, And the book that I'm obsessed with and I'm almost at the end and it's really um, very upsetting to me um, is the book, We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. I've heard good things about this. This is the second person who's recommended this. So I'm listening to it on audio and I listen to Rachel's... um, podcast as well and I love listening to her and she's just exceptionally refreshing very down to earth and she talks a lot about this concept of like how um as women as you know women and anybody else who is in the marginalized community Hmm. we should all be millionaires because money talks and that is how we're going to change the world and it's such a far cry from the idea of like we should, you know, minimize ourselves and like, don't be seen or heard and just, you know, we should be okay with what we have. It's like, no, you shouldn't be okay with what you have. You know how you make change? She's like, yeah, I make bank. And, um, <laughs> and it, it's really, it's a really nice approach. Um, and I also love listening to her. So nice. Awesome. And tell me a little bit about um, you and what are three things that you like to do for yourself every single day? So um, I love this question. I love coffee. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so I, I've started, but since, um, this is sort of going to be the answer to all three things. What I do, they happen first thing in the morning. Um, I go for a walk every morning to my local coffee store. Um, sometimes take my kids, sometimes I walk with my neighbor. Um, and I, as part of my, um, ways to, to, I order ahead so that it's ready for me and I pick it up and I walk home. So I get in a daily walk, I get some movement in, um, I get my delicious coffee that I love, uh, done exactly the way that I like it. Um, because, uh, the coffee store doesn't run out of items. Only my house runs out of items because I have forgotten to purchase them. (laughs) (laughs) Always in stock, always there for you. Um, and I am really, really working on ensuring that every day I get in some form of meditation or mindfulness or quiet time and some form of gratitude. Wonderful. Um, and so that usually happens at the beginning of the day or the end of the day, depending nice. on the chaos that is my life. Yeah, the in-between, what happens in the in-between. I love that. <laughs> gratitude is something I practice daily as well. And um, it's a great way to start the day too, right? Mm-hmm. Start the day mm-hmm. with that positive frame of mind. Um, and so what's something that you've been into lately that you're passionate about? Because passion Ooh. is, you're passionate about a lot of things, but what's something <laughs> that you've been into lately? So I'm starting my own podcast as well. So, um I have been trying to figure out the music and, oh, you know, yes. the opportunity to chat with so many amazing people. It's been so much fun. Um, and trying to figure out all those pieces, uh, because like, you know, like you said, like, it seems so when you see the finished product, you're like, Oh, that must've been easy, but must've taken like a bit of time to record, but that's it. Right. Um, and so I'm really loving it because I, I'm an introvert, but I call myself an extroverted introvert and having the opportunity to chat and go deep with people is something I really love. Me too. Me too. That's why I started mine too. I'm excited to hear yours. And when is what's your podcast called? Are are you officially sharing that yet? I am. Okay. It's gonna it'll be released in the fall. It's called She Has the Audacity. Amazing. Um and it's really a podcast slash community to help connect women who are having the audacity to live an outside the box life with other women who um who are trying to do the same and sharing all of our stories about the different choices that we make in order to create the life of our dream. I love that. I'm so excited to tune into that and be surrounded by other amazing people, other amazing women. Because you're one of those women. And I'm one of those women, so a little biased, but... So Hannah, tell me about, um, you know, any launches, any other services that you have coming up and how can listeners reach you? So I am reachable on Instagram. My clinic is Vital Physiotherapy and Wellness. I am Hannah Ross, PT, C-H-A-N-A-R-O-S-S-P-T. Um, you can find us on um, Vital Ross, Vital Ross, vitalphysiotherapy.com <laughs> or hannahross.com. Um, the podcast is launching in mid-fall. Um, we've got actually a number of classes and amazing offerings at Vital, um, and we are about to launch our Vital Village, which is a Ooh. community for uh, new parents 
um, way to connect and sort of uh, create create that village that is missing um, postpartum and with new parents. So it's so exciting. I love the name of that too, Vital Village. Sounds awesome. And one last question. All right. Hannah, what would you say is your mom's strength? Um, flexibility. Um, I, uh, you know, I can usually, we can pivot. I can, I can pivot and pivot and pivot and pivot. Um, and I, I try, I try very hard not to have expectations around what the outcomes are going to be around Mm. certain things. Still something I'm learning, but, um, I try as hard as I can to be flexible with many of those things. Amazing. Uh, something that I think I'm definitely working on as well. So thank you so much, Hannah, for spending your time with us, for sharing your joy, your passion, uh, and your story. I am so grateful for this conversation. And to all of our listeners, if you found this conversation helpful, please share this with somebody who you think this could help. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links, and we'll chat again real soon.